How and when in history did the most important advancements take place in trauma surgery? And how do our modern-day trauma systems rate? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Donald Trunke, Professor of Surgery and the former Chair of Surgery at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Trunke is an internationally renowned trauma surgeon and considered the father of modern trauma systems. Welcome, Dr. Trunke. Thank you. Today we are discussing the history of trauma surgery. Dr. Trunke, how do you define trauma care? Trauma care is the care of the injured, and the history of trauma systems is inextricably linked to war. And the early trauma systems were basically for management of casualties in a war situation. The earliest trauma systems were developed by the Greeks. Their medicine was fairly primitive, but they had special barracks called kleasi that the wounded were taken to and the wounds were dressed. The Iliad mentions a number of injuries, including one uh, involving the heart, but most of those patients died, of course. And what did the surgeons do in these cases? Greek surgeons basically bandaged the wounds. They had a poultice made of wine, and the wounds were also treated with a ephedrine, which was obviously one of the precursors of our ephedrine, and that made the blood vessels constrict and in some ways would control some of the hemorrhage. But the Chinese had the same medicine, and that probably was passed back and forth along the Silk Road. Whoever passed it on to the other uh, culture, it's hard to say. What were most of the common injuries at that time, Dr. Trunke? Most of the wounds that survived were wounds of the extremities. Galen, who was one of the most famous Roman surgeons, uh, took care of the gladiators at Pergamon in what is now eastern Turkey. And we know that he practiced vivisection on animals, and it's possible he also did the same on some of the gladiators. He did treat wounds of the lung and uh, also observed wounds of the heart, but of course didn't really know how best to control the hemorrhage. Well, at this time, what are the major sources of trauma that we see? In modern society, the most common trauma we see is blunt injuries, and most often, particularly in the European market economies, such as the United States or Canada, it would be mostly motor vehicle accidents. I think industrial accidents would be second. And almost all of these involve blunt injuries to the torso extremities, and unfortunately the head as well. We do have violence in our cities in the United States and Latin America in particular. Violence usually involves penetrating injuries and is really associated with drug trafficking. Dr. Trunke, what are the greatest challenges of trauma care at this time? The greatest challenge is the shortage of surgeons, orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons, and general surgeons, and of course nurses. We're looking at a shortage of surgeons somewhere around 200,000 by the year 2020, and we currently have a shortage of nurses that is approaching 800,000. So just getting healthcare workers is very, very problematic. When did trauma centers begin? Trauma centers began back in 1925 in Austria, 
Lawrence Bueller founded the first system there. It was designed primarily for industrial accidents, but eventually involved road traffic accidents. The first two trauma centers in the United States were in 1966, one in Chicago that was founded by Bob Freark, and the other one in San Francisco by William Blaisdell. And what was the impetus to increase the number of trauma centers since that time? Well, there are several features. I think the first two trauma centers came about for two reasons. One, titles 18 and 19, Medicare and Medicaid, came about. And so many of the public hospitals, such as San Francisco General and Cook County Hospital in Chicago, were basically empty. And the two founders recognized the trauma was a major problem due to the increase in drug trafficking and also uh, blunt trauma. And they said, well, why don't we specialize in trauma care, care of the injured? And they did so. Then following that, it was a matter of time, uh, 1976 precisely, when the American College of Surgeons said as a body that we need trauma centers and trauma systems. And the first statewide trauma system came about in about 1969 in the state of Maryland, and that was under the administrative genius of R.A. Cowley. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Donald Trunke, professor of surgery and the former chair of surgery at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Trunke is an internationally renowned trauma surgeon and considered the father of modern trauma systems. Today we are discussing the history of trauma surgery. Dr. Trunke, what are some of the major milestones that has occurred in trauma surgery over the past 20 years or so? Initially, it was the fact that we documented that there was a major problem because of preventable death studies. Now, these are fairly crude at least in the eyes of the public health people, but from a surgeon's standpoint, it's pretty easy to examine an autopsy and determine that the patient either got appropriate care or not. And some of the uh, preventable death rates in very large studies ranged from, say, 25% up to as much as 50%. In other words, patients arrived alive in an emergency room with a spleen injury and died without any appropriate surgical care. And, of course, that's inappropriate. More recently, with incomplete trauma systems in the United States, we've been able to show with population studies that trauma centers and trauma systems reduce mortality by over 25%. And in one statewide system in Florida, 50% reduction in trauma deaths. Now, do these trauma center surgeons follow algorithms laid out by the American College of Surgeons and other organizations? I think that they do to the sense that we have advanced trauma life support courses, which is basically the resuscitation of the trauma patient. And then we also have the definitive trauma surgery course, which gets surgeons who are inexperienced in trauma up to date in regards to how to approach hemorrhage in the massively injured patient the areas that we need more research are in the management of head injuries. More recently, the studies coming out of Iraq and Afghanistan show that we're going to probably change the way we do blood banking and how we do blood administration. How's that, sir? 
We're getting uh, very experienced with what is the ratio of packed red blood cells to uh, plasma. And we have one study that suggests that whole blood would be the very best uh, way to resuscitate a patient. Furthermore, we have now excellent experience with factor seven in Iraq, and this also helps the surgeon gain control of the bleeding. Now, that's very curious because if in the emergency room or even in the operating room, if I would ever ask for whole blood, the blood bank would say absolutely not. That's correct. And unfortunately, you know, the original blood banks were run by general surgeons and it was easy to get whole blood. We were able to get whole blood in San Francisco because the blood bank was run by the San Francisco Medical Society and they saved one-third of every day's procurement for the trauma center in San Francisco General. Well, that's an interesting point. Why would whole blood, as opposed to giving components of the blood when needed, be superior? I think it's complicated, but basically the blood is fresh. It's usually less than three days of age. And furthermore, it has all of the coagulation factors. That's factor five and seven. It has fibrinogen. It has the platelets, the things that are necessary for clotting of blood. If we use old blood, particularly packed red blood cells, that unfortunately doesn't contain those, and so you have to add these various components. The old blood also will lyse earlier, and that may contribute to what we call the systemic inflammatory response syndrome. Dr. Trunke, what is the difference between a trauma center and a big hospital with a busy emergency room? Are those centers equivalent? No, they're not, really. The trauma center has focused on providing emergency care, emergency resuscitation, involving emergency physicians and general surgeons. And then you have the backup of all of the specialty surgeons, neurosurgery, orthopedics, plastic, maxillofacial, urology. And they come together as a team to address the various issues. I think the most incredible difference between, say, a very well-established trauma center and a hospital that takes care of emergencies on an ad hoc basis would be the intensive care. That really can make a difference in the post-injury period. Now, if a patient is injured and there's a hospital a mile away that's not a trauma center, but there's a trauma center, let's say, 10 miles away, where should that patient go? Patients should go to the trauma center because the team will be waiting, whereas in the hospital that does not have a trauma team, by the time you activate them, it may be 30 to 45 minutes before they would even arrive at the hospital. That can be the critical difference in somebody who's bleeding to death. Now, you mentioned that head injuries are an area where we need improvement. Could you expand upon that? Traumatic brain injury is turning out to be one of the big problems coming out of Iraq, and it's clearly a problem in civilian trauma systems. And the reason is, is because when the brain is injured, it's inside a compartment. The brain swells, and this leads to further brain damage. And any patient who doesn't have an airway, that hypoxia is also going to compound the brain injury, the so-called second hit. And very honestly, we just don't know how to medically control this edema in the brain. The neurosurgeons can help immensely by removing clot from the brain, epidural or subdural hematomas, and even decompressing the cranial vault by taking off half of the skull and leaving it out. But that's very crude, and what we really need is a medical way to manage that swelling or in some way alter it.
And finally, what other areas do you think needs improvement? Clearly, rehabilitation. I think one of the big problems in American medicine today is that we don't get enough rehabilitation for these patients, those with amputations, traumatic brain injury. The General Accounting Office did a study and showed that only one in eight patients with traumatic brain injury get appropriate rehabilitation. And if we could address paraplegia and quadriplegia, possibly with stem cell research, I think that would be an incredible advance. I want to thank Dr. Donald Trunkey, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the history of trauma surgery. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.